All right. Welcome, everybody. Uh, this is the PhD podcast, episode number three. We have a guest all the way from the Netherlands by the name of Margot Bootsma. Um, she'll be joining us today to talk about, well, her, her awesome research and interests. So, uh, Margot, let's uh, hand it over to you. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, welcome. Uh, yeah, I'm Margot and uh, I live in Groningen in the, in the Netherlands indeed. And uh, I do research uh, in uh, the field of human movement sciences, where uh, I'm currently in my PhD project, where I look at the uh, effects of age and task difficulty uh, on the neural mechanisms of motor learning. And I'm in the second year of my PhD at this moment. Nice. And so are you originally from the Netherlands? Have you grew up there and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. I grew up in a, a town in the middle of the Netherlands and then uh, I went to the north to Groningen for my study uh, and actually stick there until now. Nice. Um, so what, what got you into sort of, I guess, motor learning? Yeah, well, it's actually quite an interesting story because I uh, started to uh, uh, do the Bachelor of Human Movement Sciences and I knew that the study was quite focused at research. At research. But I actually was convinced that I really didn't want to do research at all uh, in the future. But I just found the topics really interesting. So I just started a study to, uh, well, with the idea that I will see where I would end up later. Uh, and then uh, the same with the masters. I still found the topics very interesting. Uh, so I thought I'd just continue. And then, um, well, during the graduation of my bachelor, I did a graduation project on motor learning. So that's why I became familiar with the topic. Mm -hmm. um, and I discovered that I actually, um, well, really liked it and that there is a lot of interesting stuff, but also a lot of stuff still to, to discover there. And then um, during my master's, uh, my promoter convinced me to write up a research proposal on this topic. Uh, and then I thought, well, if it's on this topic that I found interesting, then I might try to uh, stick with research after all. That's awesome. That's awesome. So one of the things that we do on the PhD podcast is we ask our guests to share an article that um, inspired them or, you know, an article that they utilize in their, in their current research that has set up the, the foundation for the research. And the one that Margot shared with us uh, was actually conducted uh, in the mid 2000s at uh, UNLV at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, where Harjeev and I are currently and it's the challenge point, it's challenge points, a framework for conceptualizing the effects of uh, various practice conditions in motor learning by uh, Mark Guadagnoli and uh, Timothy Lee. Uh, Mark, can you explain just a little bit about, um, you know, the challenge point framework? Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, so there's this idea that, um, well, motor learning is not only influenced by uh, the practice or the amount of practice you do on a certain motor task, but also all the variables that uh, around this practice. Uh, and one of these variables is uh, task difficulty, so how difficult the task is that you already that you practice. And the optimal challenge point actually, um, well, is a theory that states that uh, as a task gets increasingly difficult, there's more information that you actually can get from that task, and with that information. Uh, well, you can use that information to improve from the task, but there's a certain limit because we can, uh, well, we cannot process unlimited information at the same time. And if our processing capacities are reached, um, well, we cannot really 
um, improve on the task anymore. So this theory states that there is one optimal point of uh, task difficulty uh, where there's enough information to um, get information from, but not too much that you get overwhelmed. And that this is actually the level at which you should practice a motor task to, uh, well, improve the most in a certain time frame. So how was it that, um, you know, obviously motor learning has put out so many different frameworks and, and theories. So how did, how did the challenge point get your interest? Uh, yeah, well, I first um, talked with my supervisor about, um, well, the proposal and the research that I will do. Uh, and I was sure that I wanted to do something with motor learning. And then he pointed to the direction of task difficulty. Uh, and I came across this paper and when I read it, um, it actually grabbed my interest because uh, it's a very nice combination of this motor learning. So the movement sciences and the more psychological uh, aspects of it. And uh, I have also my background in neuropsychology. So for me, it was actually the ideal combination of, right. uh, of backgrounds. Uh, and what I found very striking when I, uh, after I read this paper and I looked a bit up, uh, is that there's uh, a lot of research done on uh, contextual inference and uh, feedback, uh, which is all suggested based on this framework. Yeah. But just the very basic idea of this framework, which is just the influence of the task difficulty itself is actually not that much investigated yet. So I found that very curious that there's such a gap there. Well, a lot of papers already, um, well, sort of examine the um, uh, next things from this theory. So Margo, how does this, uh, this framework uh, fit within the scope of, of your research, specifically in like aging? Um, yeah, well, um, what with aging, and it's known that uh, a lot of processes decline. So, for example, uh, motor, de motor performance deteriorates, but also the capacity to process information. And uh, this framework is really based on this information processing, so that you learn from the information you can get from the task. Uh, so it's actually taught that as you get older and this capacity declines, the optimal point to learn a motor task at might also be at a lower task difficulty because they cannot process all this information anymore. At, at, I guess to kind of follow up on that, at what point would you say that we start seeing like noticeable um, deficits in motor performance? Is it is it based on like prior skill level? Because I'm thinking along the lines of like uh, someone who's a competitive athlete where you know sometimes we don't see their their quote-unquote like motor performance peak until they're you know in their upper 20s early 30s is that um i guess it's going off of that is this more of a function of someone's prior skill level or is it um the task itself i guess if you could just elaborate a little bit more on that yeah well i think all those factors uh, certainly have to do with it um, there's no clear cutoff in the literature. There are some papers that uh, suggest uh, 50s cliff, so where about the age of 50, there is a drop in uh, both performance and learning rate. But there are already other papers then that uh, show that this does not uh, exactly have to be the case. And I think indeed uh, the skill level of someone um, really has an influence on that. 
Uh, so I can really imagine that if someone just keep practicing all their life, that they can uh, maintain this level of motor performance, while someone uh, that does not really use certain motor function, that their deterioration will go much more quickly. Uh, and that indeed, uh, well, if you do research with, with older adults uh, in the field of motor performance, you always see a huge variation, um, way bigger than when you look at younger adults. Uh, and that might be explained by, um, well, things like factors like initial skill level. Yeah, so, you know, the challenge point framework has been uh, really uh, implemented in coaching a lot. Uh, and also a little bit, I think, in, in rehabilitation. And like you said, with your interest in aging, I think, uh, I guess a good segue to this is how could a clinician actually apply this challenge point framework uh, for the rehabilitation of an injury, uh, whatever injury it may be, it doesn't really have to be specific. But. Yeah, well, um, in practice, and especially for a clinician, they always uh, want to um, well, do a rehabilitation in the most efficient way. So I'm actually currently in a rehabilitation trajectory myself, and you just have a limited time available with your um, physical therapist in which you want to improve mostly as possible. Uh, because so I think everybody that has an injury wants to be back on the field as soon as possible. Right. Um, so therefore, it's quite important to know what the optimal parameters are to practice those motor tasks and rehabilitate. Um, yeah, so you can use the time you have most efficiently. So if this were like, um, do you, can you give us like an example of any, um, uh, maybe any type of injury and, and how, uh, for example, this framework could be uh, applied to it? Uh, yeah, well, one example uh, we use a lot uh, in the aging literature is uh, the case of a stroke. Right. Uh, so yeah, when people age, of course, the incident of stroke um, really increases. And mostly after a stroke, uh, people lost part of their movements in one part of the body and they have to relearn to move with, uh, with uh, the right limb, for example. And um, well, if, if people have to relearn tasks such as simple as um, grasp an object, yeah. uh, it's really important to know what kind of object, for example, what kind of task you are going to give them uh, in order to uh, well that they can learn this most efficiently so are you going to give them an object which is very big in the beginning so they will certainly be able to do it or are you going to challenge them uh, with a smaller object for example yeah that kind of reminds me of like you know the optimal theory stuff or like perceived task difficulty and stuff like that um by making things easier having more success and, and all that um which is i think fantastic and I, I think this challenge point framework is still a very very um good uh, perspective and model to use um and so with that you know i think oftentimes skill level and task difficulty are often kind of portrayed as very linear right skill goes up you want uh task difficulty to go up that's pretty much i mean that's maybe how it's uh portrayed um so uh my question is, how does this linear relationship affect sort of maybe the type and frequency of feedback? Because I know the challenge point touched a little bit about feedback. So, um, yeah, what's your what's your perspective on that? Yeah, so um, I'm 
not that much into free tech myself, but that, uh, indeed on the uh, in the challenge point theory, it's sort of brought forward as an uh, extra variable that actually affect the overall difficulty of the task. So uh, you have this uh, distinction into the nominal and the functional task difficulty, where the nominal task difficulty is just the motor task itself, irrespective of who is performing it or uh, the conditions. And the functional task difficulty is actually uh, the difficulty um, that the performer perceives uh, and is uh, also dependent on uh, not only the skill level of the performer, but also on the conditions where the task is performed in. And feedback is actually uh, one of these variables that uh, affects uh, eventually the, the functional skill level. So, for example, if you um, decrease the, um, the amount of feedback or the frequency of feedback, uh, this could actually make a task more challenging because uh, people have to process the information themselves first before they hear um, if they're doing it good or not. So uh, it's actually suggested that, for example, when someone is very novice at the task or when a task is really difficult, that uh, people can benefit from having very frequent feedback uh, and also a lot of feedback. And uh, as people def develop the skill and becoming better and better, uh, that they then uh, will benefit more from less frequent feedback. So they actually have to process this information themselves. So Marco, that was really a nice overview of you know, some of the, the key components of uh, the challenge point framework. And I believe this paper was published in 2004, so pretty early 2000. So it's been almost two decades since this paper's come out. Based on like your current understandings of some of the various you know, motor learning mechanisms, what are some of the things that the challenge point framework got initially correct? And then what are some of the things like based on our current understandings that may have been, you know, slightly changed from the time this was released until now? Yeah, well, I think um, overall the idea that uh, the uh, amount of motor learning and the efficiency of motor learning is influenced by this practice variables, uh, such as the difficulty of the task, but also the feedback. Uh, I think those are the things that, um, well, that are definitely correct and also proven now that all those variables, um, well, affect the amount of learning. And, um, well, for example, the prediction they make on the context for interference, but also the feedback we just talked about, um, they actually have been shown in a lot of papers that those predictions are uh, quite correct. And in the uh, light of just the effect of uh, task difficulty on motor learning, uh, well, I think there's definitely a relationship between the amount of learning and the task difficulty. And um, if you look at the high end of the curve, they predict. So if the task is really too difficult, um, well, the assumption that that will impede motor learning has also been um, well shown in quite a few papers, especially also in the context of aging. Um, but what I think um, has been changed, at least in, in my view now, is more the other end of the curve. So uh, where tasks that are uh, quite easy. Um, in the challenge point, they actually state that if the task is really easy and you, there is no information that you can gather from it, that you cannot learn from it. Um, but there's actually quite a lot of uh, literature now, and we also saw, see it in our own studies. Um, that that doesn't have to be the case. So you have this whole implicit learning and errorless learning literature that's shown that people can actually quite well improve on tasks 
even if they make no errors at all, but just from experience and doing it. Uh, so I think there are, there are actually multiple processes. So it's not only this difficulty of the task and the information that you get from it uh, that are necessary to learn a task, but it definitely does play a role. It's a really well thought out uh, point that you just mentioned there. I'm curious, I think Harjeev is, is curious as well, is um, what are some of the current and future research endeavors that you, that you guys have going on at, in your lab right now as it relates to the aging and some of this task difficulty research? Yeah, so uh, what we're doing is um, we produce the mirror star tracing uh, task. Uh, and in this task, we manipulate the width of the wall of the star where people have to uh, stay within. And uh, then we let people uh, practice this task, both younger and older adults, for a certain amount of time. And we're now looking only at single session learning. So it's for about an hour that they practice this. And then, uh, well, both before, immediately after, and 24 hour after practice, uh, we measure, uh, well, both their motor performance, so how well they're doing, uh, as well as uh, EEG to get more insight into the neural mechanisms. And, um, well, then we hope to answer some of the inconsistencies with regard to the effect of age and task difficulty on uh, the learning of this task. You know, um, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I said it in the beginning, but me and Margo met last year at the Motor Control Summer School. We kind of hit it off on just, talking about motor learning and uh and, uh, and i know your interest in eeg as well um so with that interest you know i think as just as a student yourself what do you want to know slash grasp uh more knowledge of to apply it to your uh realm of study because i know also like you mentioned you're interested in uh, eeg and whatnot but yeah yeah so um my well, as I already said, my background is is both in human movement science and in neuropsychology. And in human movement sciences, I specialized uh, in aging. Uh, and I think in aging, there's really uh, a lot to um, well, not a lot of knowledge that is missing um, with regard to um, motor learning, and especially with regard to the neural mechanisms and what actually happens in the aging brain. Um, uh, if uh, during this, during the learning of a motor task. Um, and I, I think uh, especially in aging, it's for, very important to have this information because, well, as already said, uh, incidents for diseases such as stroke really increase. But also, uh, for example, the technology is improving and changing a lot. Uh, and for us, uh, well, handling new de devices is quite easy. But if you're an older adult and you have never... Um, touch the touch screen, uh, that, that is also a motor task that you need to learn and you need to adapt to these different uh, configurations. Uh, so I think it's really important to get more insight into how we can actually help those older adults um, improve in those tasks. That's fantastic. And I, you know, I, I look forward to the stuff you put out. Um, and uh, I mean, yeah, I think aging is, is understudied per se. Um, but, Even though everybody does it, we're going to be the older adults at some point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we have to know our. We have to know, you know, how to, uh, I guess, perform better anyway. So. Yeah, um, it's also you know, just self-interest that you can yeah. keep on <laughs> performing yeah. well during your lifespan. Yeah, you know, it's funny because like every time, you know, we're studying just movement variability, um, you know, I'm all about like, you know, uh, 
it's like even when I'm walking, right, I'll take a different path every day. You know, I'll do something. I mean, just like the stuff we ingrain in our in our head, just through our research, we kind of actually implement it in our practice. Uh, so yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Um, so, Margaret, to end off, uh, we we kind of asked this question to to all of our all of our guests. Um, what is one practical takeaway that you know any practitioner, whether it be coach or or clinician, or if you want to separate the two out, whatever it may be, um, what can they take from your expertise? And then as well as, you know, the challenge point framework, if you want to get into that, but uh, more so, you know, what's one practical takeaway that a practitioner can take from, from you uh, who's listening right now? Uh, yeah, well, I think um, the most important point is uh, that if you design a, a practice, um, uh, let it be a rehabilitation or just a uh, sport practice uh, where people have to learn or improve on motor skills. That it's really important to uh, take all uh, to consider all the variables. Uh, so not only the motor skill itself that you want to learn, but also how you're gonna uh, give that to them, what feedback you're gonna give, uh, how you present the skill, uh, if you allow people to make errors or not. Uh, so that really all these variables are really important. And uh, I think what we also uh, discover more and more in our own research, but also is more appreciated in other research is uh, the individual differences in motor performance, but that they also really are really meaningful uh, and can be helpful in designing this program so that you should really tailor your uh, rehabilitation program to the individual based on his abilities and skill level and age also, for example, um, because, uh, well, the motor ability, motor learning ability uh, just really differs, differs from person to person. Yeah, so I think that that speaks pretty nicely on, you know, being mindful of our, our practice conditions, whether it's a sports con environment or a, or a clinical condition that we can't necessarily administer, you know, cookie cutter type of programs to people because what like you said the the individual differences and how they perceive different tasks and things like that and just just before we we let you go Margo what is you know you're in your second year of your PhD right now um you know where do you see yourself you know in the future in terms of this research and you know what 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 goals I guess do you have in terms of taking this research to the the next stages yeah well so I'm not going to state anymore that I will not continue in research because I think I've proven myself wrong already <laughs> but uh, I do plan to uh, also um, work more practical, so more in the field of uh, clinical neuropsychology. But I think also their, um, well, knowledge from uh, motor learning and movement is really important. And I think I can really, uh, well, take that knowledge with me uh, in the practice. Um, also, when encountering people with um, neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's uh, and uh, MS, for example. Um, so I think I will definitely always uh, at least take this knowledge with me, but I hope I will be um, also be able to extend this knowledge uh, in the coming years further. That's awesome. I'm excited to, to see uh, your progress. And I know Jason is as well, because our interests sort of align with, with yours. So it's a, uh, it's it's fascinating um so you know what with that um i think that that that's all for today nice short sweet margo you've been a great guest um would love to have you on again in the future when you know you i guess figure out some more cool stuff because this is, this is awesome um and i think you know uh, people that typically listen to our podcast will, will definitely um 
enjoy this one. So, um, yeah, with that, thank you so much for coming on and I appreciate your time. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. I really, uh, I really enjoyed being on the podcast and uh, talking about this, uh, definitely interesting stuff. Great. Thank you. Thanks again, Margo. Yeah.